Hello and welcome to another episode of this Dan Welsh's Midnight Ramble podcast. I'm super excited to be dropping this episode today because Indy Gage is a fantastic person and a great guest. It was so good to have a catch up with her. I'm a huge fan of her podcast, Hot Girls Theory. Her with her good friend Ashley Rose put together a fantastic show. And I really encourage you to go check it out. That's Hot Girls Theory on all of their socials. Indy is at Fueled by Indy on all of her socials. In the meantime, thank you so, so much for supporting this show yet again. I'm really excited on how much great feedback I've had recently. It's really, really exciting to hear the people who are enjoying the show. So sit back and relax. Enjoy this third episode of Dan Welsh's Midnight Ramble. Exciting for this third episode of Dan Welsh's Midnight Ramble. I'm joined yet again online, as is the uh, this current style, by Indy Gage, fantastically fascinating woman who I was super excited <laughs> to uh, to get and sit down and record a show with. So, for those who aren't aware of your uh, who you are and what you do, do you want to shed some light on that? Because I think uh, a lot of people would be fascinated to know. Oh, you're gonna make me blush, Dan. Um, <laughs> I am. I am a podcaster as well. Uh, I think I feel like it's hard for me to be like, what do I do? Because it's lockdown. So I'm a podcaster. I'm currently getting my undergraduate uh, studies in gender studies and I'm an aspiring sexologist and I'm a cancer for anyone into astrology and I'm a feminist and, you know, I'm just an all around, I don't know, cool person not to toot my own horn. <laughs> well, I encourage you to do so because I've um, I'm I'm fascinated by you and everything that you do. Since we uh, by chance met in person uh, late last yeah. year, I've been yeah. following closely and do listen to your podcast and have mm. since um, introduced it to my partner, and she's a big fan as well. Um, Much appreciated as always. And I was listening just yesterday because just catching up on some um, some episodes that I'd missed in preparation for this. Um, can you start off? I guess by explaining in your own words, I mean, because I could have a crack at it, but I'd rather you to do so, what um, Hot Girls Theory, your podcast, is all about and um, and what you're trying to, f- wh- um, what it sort of aims to, to mm. talk about and promote and, you know, of discuss. Course. Of course, I love talking about my own podcast. Uh, I guess the kind of TLDR of it is it's like we're a society and culture podcast. We focus on sex, sexuality, feminism, world politics. Like we don't really have a specific niche. Um, I also apologize for any background noise. Um, I'm battling the same right now. Yeah. I think there's um, a few people getting geared up for the football. So if there's uh, little noises in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, there's, it's harder to say that there's a kind of niche to it because we don't really like you would know that by listening um we don't really have a specific niche there's definitely things that we touch Mm. on quite a lot and come back to because we have that focus um but really the the goal of the podcast was initially for us for myself and my co-host ash to have a place for us to kind of share our thoughts and opinions but also like our academic knowledge and our wealth of knowledge that we feel like we have with the world, I guess you could say, um, because mm. we do have lots of people from all over the world that listen to us, which is kind of insane. But um, mm. uh, yeah, it's it's 
kind of just about trying to create that safe space for, you know, obviously primarily people who are not men, but you know, if, if guys come along for the ride, that's fine. We encourage it because I think that that's how you expand your mind. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm glad to be, um, I'm glad to be officially allowed along for the ride cause I yeah. enjoy it a great deal. <laughs> and it's particularly the ones I enjoy the episodes, I should say that I enjoy somewhat the most are the ones that challenge me that go mm. to conversations that I, um, wouldn't have considered as a man. And yeah. when you, you girls are discussing a topic and you make a point that, um, after you've made it seems so obvious but it's it's a perspective that would never have con- that I would never have considered. Yeah. Having having grown up as a cis white man, I there's there's perspectives that you're able to bring to my attention that I go, yeah, that makes so much sense. Why have I never considered it that way on a variety of different issues? And I um, love that. It's really fascinating. That's great. It's I really love that. Fascinating. <laughs> so I guess um, where I'd like to start is the name Hot Girls Theory. Mm. Where did that sort of um, what was the spark that inspired that? I think it's so funny to talk about this because obviously the short answer is just Megan the Stallion. Um, but then, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> ah. Because it was like really when hot girl shit like was catching on, like it was the, us naming it was when it was really starting to get big. And um, Ash and I actually didn't know each other that well before we started the podcast, which I think is a really I think it's a funny, oh, really? yeah, it's a really funny tidbit about our podcast is we, we weren't talking every day. We had very face value, minimal knowledge of each other. So, you know, when you listen to the podcast, like from the start and we're sharing all these things with each other, it's really honestly stuff that we don't know about each other. So we're learning along the way. Wow. Which is I know, like, we have such great chemistry, right? I I would have thought you'd been (laughs) friends for years, years and years. No, so we explain how we met in, like, the identity episodes, which are, like, way back from last year and, Mm. or, yeah, last year? Yeah, timeline, what is time anymore? Um, (laughs) And uh, so we were trying to name it and getting the hot girl part was really quite easy because we already had because how we had met each other was you know ash had dated someone that i went to high school with and Mm. so we had met kind of just after like we met when we were really young actually that's a lie um at a bring me the horizon concert because we had mutual friends and so we were like "Mm, 13-ish um and then she dated someone i went to high school with because we went to different schools and then after that um like things like i had matched with him on tinder after they broke up and i was like I think they're still together. I've got to tell her. So it was kind of like reconnecting that way. And we stayed in touch, like probably after the end of 2018. And it was just like, you know, from there we chatted and, you know, it happened. And we were like, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Even though we don't really know each other that well at all. And the hot girl part was easy because we knew that we both really loved Megan Thee Stallion. Yeah. That's something that we had bonded over. And I was literally just like, all like the only word I could think of was concept. And so I, I jumped onto a thesaurus and uh, that's how I came up with Hot Girls Theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. I didn't realize the, the hot girl shit um, and by extension, like hot girl summer, which I saw pop mm. up a lot around the same time. I didn't realize that was a Megan the Stallion It's all, thing. yeah, it's all Megan the Stallion because she really started the, like, I, obviously there was, you know, yeah. people who, that those words had been put together before. It wasn't like Megan Thee Stallion created the term hot girl and then hot girl shit and then hot girl summer. Mm. But 
it was definitely part of her branding um, through her like Tina Snow album. Um, there's a, a song on there called Hot Girl and she's always doing the hot girl. Uh, I'm a hot girl uh, kind of thing. Yeah. I can't do okay. it. I can't do it justice, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I follow. I follow. Oh, there you go. That's fascinating. I didn't, I never knew that. And you, so you guys, um, you and Ash would have originally met in Adelaide, if I'm correct. Mm. Yeah. So uh, we met like, because we're both from down south. So like I said, we met like through mutual friends and we had that kind of thing. Because I'm, I've always been quite a like, you know, like loud, extroverted kind of mm person with a really big personality and I think that when we were younger she was like very much the opposite of that and I think she was she was very much like oh this person's not gonna like me and I didn't like her (laughs) um (laughs) when we when we were like really quite young and then you know she dated someone I went to high school with who I really didn't like and I had never like judged her upon that I was just like she could do better (laughs) like you know what I mean and then so we that's kind of yeah Adelaide how that came to pass. And then now you do the whole thing uh, remotely because you moved to Melbourne a year or two ago? Mm, it's or like probably, it's, it's yeah, closer to two now because in February yep. it'll be two years. Yep. Um, and yeah, so we just record everything uh, online. We've only done a few episodes in person when I was in Adelaide in January for about three weeks. Well, we did more than a few because it was probably about four or five episodes we managed to squeeze in when oh, I was fantastic. there. Cause, and that was that was a really fun uh, experience to be able to actually record a podcast with someone I'd been doing a podcast with for, you know, oh, like nine months. Yeah, yeah. It's It must have been a strange thing to, um, to develop that chemistry online um, because, you know, I've, I've started this whole podcast on Zoom and it's, mm. as, as fantastic as it's been, it's not the quite same. the same as interviewing yeah. people live as I've done for radio and stuff. So it must have been very strange to my mind, to develop that chemistry over video chat for so long and then having to fully realise it, being able to fully realise it in person for the first yeah. time. Yeah. Well, literally, like, the first time I went to Ash's house to record when I was in Adelaide in January, it was like, oh, my God, we haven't seen each other since we were, like, what, 14? Like, that's like we hadn't actually been in person together since we were that age. So for us to do that and me to, like, be in her house and then, you know, for us to like be going out together and you know making that kind of in-person connection was definitely very surreal in a way and very confirming of the working relationship that we have have forged throughout this time because we do have a business partnership but we also have a very close friendship so it's Mm -hmm. very and, and we're able to I guess kind of like fit into those roles together very well like it's not like those things kind of clash with each other Yep. And I think that's because we really lucked out in making the decision we made to start the podcast, not having known each other very long, because that's a really big risk, right? Like to really like be like, oh, I'm going to do this thing that has like a real is actually like a really big commitment and not mm. fully know the person I'm going into this with. And I think that was probably one of the, the better options because some I, I've read a lot of horror stories about people, you know, starting podcasts or making big commitments and not being able to follow through because you know the person too well so yeah i think it worked out for the better 
Oh, fantastic. Well, it's uh, I encourage everyone to go and have a listen because I um, I enjoy it very dearly and I know that I'm one of many. And um, I'll put my hand up right now and say for all the gents listening that it's um, <laughs> it's just as interesting, if not maybe more, if you're, um, if you're a, a cis male because you will definitely learn something along the way and the perspectives mm. um, that these ladies have is... Um, is, is really, really interesting on a huge variety of topics. And I think I, um, when we first spoke about the show and then when I, you know, found the show online, I think I uh, possibly wrongly assumed that it was more about, uh, you know, sex and relationships um, and strictly feminism and stuff like that. And the mm. more I've listened to it, the more I'm, I realise that you have a huge, wi- a huge range of... Um, interesting perspectives on a huge range of issues and it's oh, well um, I mean can you give examples of that of how you feel that like it's more nuanced than just those like topics at a face value because I'm interested to know but also I think it would be good to give an example well I think you just like um particularly like in what well, okay so for me personally I'm a huge politics nerd um mm. and you, the way that you can sort of tangentially throw in the political um, ramifications and the the reasons why we find ourselves in particular political situations, like the one I was listening to just the other day, um, interviewing um, the American sexologist and sex yes. therapist, um, yes, and relationship Rachel therapist. Rose. Rachel Rose, that was the one. Yes, um, that was fascinating. Like a yeah. really really interesting person. And we were you were speaking about um, the political ramifications of like sex education and how terrible it is in the US but also here mm. and um, um, yeah just the way that you're able to bring in these other elements um, and yeah you just have well-rounded perspectives on everything and it's um, it's really enjoyable that's good I'm really glad I think I I wouldn't say I'm a big politics nerd I think that I'm interested in it because uh, you know there's a really, really, really prominent saying when you are studying, you know, gender studies and women's studies is that the personal is political. And so for me to be a woman, to be a queer woman, to be a fat woman, to be, you know, a disabled woman, to have all of these aspects of my life be very political, it's Mm. kind of, I can't ignore it. And then I think I'm able to so easily understand the ramifications of those things because you kind of, it tie in like sociology into that. And I'm yes, very, yeah, I understand sure. a lot of sociology. So, yeah. Yeah. So you just mentioned something that I, I do also want to touch on mm. in that. Um, and you can enlighten me as well as the listeners, because I don't know as any, as anywhere near as much as about this as I'd like to in studying gender studies. Um, yeah. So first of all, my first question is what specifically, what course are you studying and how, mm. what, what's, what does gender studies look like when you're studying it? Um, on that more in-depth basis I have no idea why but I like had a feeling you were gonna ask me this like I was like he's gonna (laughs) ask me about being a gender studies major so uh originally when I was studying at Adelaide because I finished about uh just over half my well just under half actually of my degree in Adelaide and then I moved when I moved here I transferred it over Yep. And it was called Women's Studies. And now okay. at Flinders University, it's called Women and Gender Studies. So I feel like this is kind of pushed to move it from Women's Studies and now to Gender Studies, depending on where yep. you go. Um, yeah. And it's Gender Studies, I think, everywhere you can study it in Victoria. And um, okay, so for those of you who aren't aware, 
mm. women's studies or gender studies, you know, both are kind of the same thing. Like there, there really aren't any differences maybe in how people teach it, but I wouldn't really know. Um, it's kind of, it, it, that's my major and my course that I'm actually studying to answer that question is I'm doing a bachelor of arts. Um, so yep. that's my undergrad. Yeah. And I guess like the way I describe it to most people, cause I do get asked a lot is it's like, you know, it's studying the world from a gendered perspective. So mm. if you think about history, even if you think about sociology, if you think about any subject that you can take at school or at university, it is always from a man's perspective. It's always yes. from a white man's perspective. It's always from, it's like if you're thinking about, you know, history and anthropology and things like that as well. Yes. Most of the people within the field have been white and men. Uh, with a few exceptions and even then it's not enough to kind of really mm -hmm. dictate how you understand that subject at its core mm. and so gender studies or women's studies is you know like i said looking at various aspects of society from a gendered lens and so mm. that can be dictated by the subject that you're doing and so at latrobe it does work a bit differently to how i was you know learning it flinders because mm -hmm. within a within a discipline you can kind of do so say for example because i'm doing gender studies it means that i can do legal studies or i can do criminology studies um or i can do history or i can do anthropology i can do those subjects and because my what's the word the topic coordinator or whoever i'm whoever is kind of teaching knows yeah. that i'm a gender studies major they will know that whatever um, essays I end up writing, whatever assignments I hand in is going to be through that gendered perspective and it's going to be uh, taking an angle. Okay. You know, so yep. even if I'm not doing like a gender studies specific subject, um, yes, okay. it, it's going to be, I'm d primarily going to be taking it through that lens. You know what I mean? And it's understood that that'll be a theme of the majority of your study and the majority of your work. Correct. Will, will follow that common theme and that common... Um, dis those common discussions, um, regardless of what the particular topic is that you're speaking yeah. about at any given time. Yeah. And so it's been kind of easier. I think like, you know, um, I did like a few legal studies topics, which was primarily focused on like violence. And so I was, except I did a, uh, the second semester of last year I did one like I did my first assignment was on like men's violence and like incels and how that kind mm. of comes to be and then the second one I was like okay now I want to take a break from that so I decided to do like how I was like oh I'm also vegan so I decided because I was like oh I'm feeling a bit burnt out from all this gender study stuff so it gives me a lot of flexibility which is great yeah. so I decided that my second assignment which is the final major assignment I was going to focus on the way in which animal agriculture is a form of environmental racism and also by proxy you can i still put in a bit about like how environmental racism affects women disproportionately because it affects fertility rates and affects um affects you know birth rates and it affects um things like that as well oh fascinating yeah and, and is this all no, that's all right. I'm I'm really interested to there, there's I I um, you've left me with so many things I can jump off in there. That's but, great. Um, I might just uh, um, put a pause on them for a second to say mm. is that is is a lot of this um, 
uh, is a lot of this interest in this study part of the research and the study that you want to do to be, as you mentioned, aspiring sexologist? Is this mm-hmm. um, is this all part of that same trajectory? Yes. Well, you have to do like uh, any kind of sexology or sex therapy study has to be postgraduate. So okay. you obviously have to do um, like what well, you don't have to, I assume, as long as you get good grades, they don't really care. But it's mm. probably preferred that if you're going to do a sexology or that kind of adjacent study in postgraduate study that you focus on those kinds of things in your undergrad as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for um, people who aren't uh, as aware, and I, I am only properly aware mostly through listening to your podcast, like yeah. um, Rachel Rose, who you had, was it Rachel Rose? Who yes. You had on, like Rachel Rose, who you had on the other day, um, uh, people who are sexologists and that is a genuine job and through a couple of people that I you know, follow through social media and stuff. And I find it a fascinating field because so many, like I'm very frustrated often by um, how slow, like I say, as like a politics nerd and I'm um, very interested in education, um, I'm often frustrated by how slow sex education is to catch up Mm. um, to, you know, uh, social movements and, um, just like social context people. in general, like how we are interacting with each other. It kind of seems so off, off, uh, like out of touch, right? Yeah. Or they're just, yeah. And, and the people who are going to need to understand the lessons that we've learned in the last few years about how people interact, about people's sexuality, about people's, uh, uh gender spectrums and all that sorts of stuff that everything we learn about this, the people who most need to understand it is the next generation mm. and that's where the education should be. But unfortunately when it comes to things like such education, it's such a slow moving machine because I, I think older generations, conservative people are often frightened by, you know, what you, um, frightened by the idea of teaching children about these sorts of things. Whereas mm. my view would be that teaching children about these sorts of things is the best possible way to mm. make them respectful, tolerant, honest, and, you know, just Safe. better people. Safe. <laughs> you, yeah. You, you, um, you picked the most important one, which I have to miss, which is safe. No, that's um, okay. I think all of those things are always equally as po- important. But no, I can tangent off of that really easy because I'm mm. very much, very, very passionate about sex ed in the same way. Um, and actually... It really helps, like I said, because, you know, I'm doing a history subject this semester, which is the history of sexualities. And we're looking at the history, like, throughout everything, like, you know, you get to touch on lots of little things at once, which um, is really interesting. But, you know, this week and last week in particular, we're looking at the history of sex education. And this week there was, you know, they introduced, you know, what sexologists did like way back in like the 19th century and how fascinating that was to me. And somewhat not- There was sexologists in the 19th century? Yes. Yes. But you know what they were? They were also eugenicists. So like- (laughs) Oh. Yeah. It's actually really, it's it's fascinating though to see the, um, to see the evolution of a, I mean- I'm what well, who wasn't a eugenicist back then if you were white you were probably eugenicist you were, so like yeah well that's let, yeah that's a whole that's kind of, issue for another time that's, but yeah that's just the context and that's just a consequence yes. of the context in which they came to be and yes. so 
it's really interesting that you bring up these points about like uh, politicians and older people not wanting to teach young people about sex and safe sex and you know for their mm. benefit because they think that like, i mean the primary thing is fear and moral panic but also mm. um i mean there's lots and lots of things that you can kind of bring it back to and it kind of comes back to this moral hierarchy as well and and kind of the gatekeeping of information um Mm. but the primary understanding is that if you teach children about sex they're going to participate in sex from an early age and they're going to become sex crazed and they're just gonna be fucking and look i think that's gonna happen regardless and i think that's what people understand who are from our perspective is that yes that's actually more likely to happen because they don't have the education whereas if people have education they're going to understand the risks they're going to be able to mitigate those risks a lot better but yeah what i think is really interesting is in my class we were talking about that and um we were talking about how people will it was the same thing back then, basically. Like, there hasn't really been much change, and why would there be, obviously? But um, the idea was that if you teach women about sex, that they would participate in sex. And because there wasn't birth control, the idea mm. was as well that they were kind of going to um, make the white race impure by having sex with black people, with Asian people, with anyone of any non-white race. So the idea was let's not teach women, let's not teach girls about sex so that they don't have sex with non-white people and they can just get married and be virgins. Yeah. And so... Not surprising, but still not easy to swallow. Yes. The sex education was fear-mongering, was, you know, very... Like, if you could put it to a, a modern context, very mean girls, like very like you will have sex and you will die. And so <laughs> that was that was like the understanding and it still is the understanding. And so you can kind of see from this historical context how the evolution mm. has continued to go from that to this, because there's really actually no, no difference, except there's probably a little bit less racism, but also probably not like, it, you know, and so. Yeah. The reading on that has been super fascinating because it's always about control, but it's also always about the control of women's bodies in particular, because women's bodies are seen as the site for the impurity. They're seen, you know, we are, first of all, life givers. So any impurity in the race is our fault. We are the ones who are usually blamed for, um, what's the word I'm looking for, for kind of continuing venereal disease and STIs and STDs. Mm. That was also the the thought process back then that men just somehow suddenly had them and it was always women's fault, which is also still kind of the stigma today. So I think what a lot of people don't understand when they are looking at current modern social context about sex and sexuality and things like STIs and uh, slut shaming is it all has a historical context and it all has really deep historical meaning. So if you're out here being someone who's going to slut shame, I mean, just go back to the 19th century. You'll fit in perfectly. (laughs) Back straight back to the Victorian era and um, you'll be looked upon as one of their own. Yes. Yeah. It's weird to, it's, it's odd to hear those stories and think that we've come so far, but then you look at the stories that, we're currently talking about and you know mm. I'm, I'm sure i don't need to explain to you the huge news coming out of texas in the last month mm. but for listeners who aren't aware yeah um the the repealing of roe v wade which is the the highest american law that protects a woman's right to choose in the um in the case of an abortion it's 
the the repealing of that has been something that huge conservative forces has been trying to achieve and openly that's been their main goal for the last 20 years mm. and then suddenly now we have a law where texas um citizens can essentially like publicly name and shame each other for having had abortions performed and that yeah. seems absurd like if you told me that that was a law that was prominent in the 50s You'd that be would like make okay sense. that makes sense yeah yeah okay glad we moved on from that no this just got this just went to the supreme court a few weeks ago and got ticked off yep yeah. that makes sense and that that's bizarre to me and that's the scariest part of it is that is the end of a vehement and deliberate campaign yeah. to achieve exactly that. That this is no accident. There's been there's been thousands and thousands of people in that country and to some extent everywhere in the Western world that have been trying to achieve that, trying to repeal a woman's right to choose for so long and they just got a win. Tick. Mm. That's a win. And that's it's absolutely bizarre that this is a conversation we're now having in 2021, like we've, I thought we, it's just bizarre. To oh, it's September. That. We can basically say it's 2022 now. Let's be real. Yeah. Well, how do yeah. you even have that conversation then? I think, I mean, that's the ultimate, like, Handmaid's Tale rabbit hole, right? Like, I haven't even read or watched that show, but all I know is that that's the end goal is that there's no bodily autonomy. And I think that that's what people don't understand about politics and wh- why. Because there's, there's not a lot of political literacy being taught. There's not a lot of media literacy being taught. There's not a lot of no. literacy being taught, period. No. But, and I have conspiracy theories about that. And, it, it, like, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I can leave those for another time if you don't want to talk about that now. But, like, the problem is, is that people don't see – I don't think people see politics as, like, um, something that happens as intentionally as it does. Like, people would think, yes. oh, laws just exist and – laws exist because that's what's in our best interest and and laws exist because that's to keep us safe but the reality is is that can there can be lots of antiquated laws that don't exist to keep us safe that aren't there to keep anyone safe and are just there to perpetuate patriarchal hegemonic understandings of how we as a society should live under that patriarchal rule and so I think in particular in Australia, we are very um, complicit in understanding how our politics works and how our politics is powerful because America is a benchmark for everything. So mm. when every every time something happens, everyone's like, oh, at least we're not as bad as America or it could be worse. Mm. And I think that by saying that and giving the, the she'll be right treatment, we don't understand how insidious that action will impact here and vice versa. Like we have laws that will impact America and people don't understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the forces that try to, that try to drag society backwards, look at other successes around that, what they view as successes around the world Mm. and then get excited and say, how can we emulate it? So you can guarantee there's people here, there's people in the UK, there's people in Canada, there's people in Europe looking at that that Texas um, uh, law that just came through. Yeah, as and a saying, model. 
oh wow that's that might be possible here how can we mm. get that how can we get those wheels in motion and those are the kind of things that never get actually you know put to the public um they those are the kind of deals that they seek to get signed behind closed doors yeah um and swept under the rug and rushed through so by the time the media gets wind of it and everyone goes oh this is reprehensible what can we do about it oh too late it just got signed mm. sorry yeah. oh well it's done now, but you know you shouldn't be having abortions anyway. So just sit tight and uh, and just uh, you know behave yourself, and everything will be okay. It's like yes, yeah. this is bizarre. Didn't we tackle this twenty five years ago, thirty years ago, forty years ago? Anyway, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna end up on a political rant, and um, <laughs> we're here to okay. learn about you. And I could just you know I could talk about politics all day. Mm. So I'm really fascinated by um, how these because obviously all of these. When you talk of gender studies and when you talk of sex education, when you talk of, um, you know, uh, queer issues and all these sorts of things, at what point, if there was one, did you realise that this might be something that you wanted to A, study in, B, work in, C, discuss on a podcast? Like, at what point did you go, this is not so only something the I'm interested in? <laughs> well, I mean, how did you know that all of this stuff wasn't just stuff that you're passionate and interested mm. in? Um, but how did you know that you wanted to to explore it further in in study and in work, um, you know, both down the track and also, you know, in media and the way that you do with the podcast? Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it kind of has to be a timeline because I don't think there's any short way that I can answer that because it's definitely been a really, really, really long process. And so, you know, I came from one of those families where like, not so much my mom's side, but that's for a different reason. Like um, my dad's side of the family, primarily from my grandma, was very like, oh, you're not smart unless you're good at maths. And so because I wasn't good at maths, I wasn't really seen to be very intelligent or very smart. And I think there was, mm-hmm. I think also because I, I'm coming to realize now in my adulthood that I have ADHD. And so, you know, being a child who is a woman, who's a girl rather at the time who had mm-hmm. ADHD, like I was often, you know, off with the fairies, daydreaming. Like I have, yeah. I, I have like this really vast, intense imagination that just like couldn't be contained. So as a child, like my grandma didn't really know what to do with me and she was a bit like worried. And so I always grew up feeling like I wasn't smart, like I wasn't smart enough to do mm. academia. And so, you know, I had gotten, you know, through high school, I did, we had women's studies at the high school that I went to. So I was able to take that in year 11 and 12. Oh, wow. Yeah. I and I always that. knew that I wanted to do that because I came from that like political Tumblr era where like I was into oh, okay. tum- yes. Tumblr feminism, which yeah, I know yeah. people think of Tumblr feminism and they kind of cringe and they go, oh, that's like the really, um, you know, cringy, hardcore, radical stuff. But I don't think that's actually the reality. I think that that's just the mm. perception a lot of people had. I think that Tumblr opened me up to a lot of concepts and ideas that I had already kind of underlying understood. It just gave me Mm. a way to articulate those things. So I did women's studies in year 11 and 12. I knew that I wanted to pursue it in academia, but I didn't feel like going to uni straight out of high school was my pathway. So I didn't, Um, you know, I I went to the workforce. I worked full time because I thought that that was the right option. You know, I came from a really, 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 really poor family. So like money at the time was more important. And I think that that's, that that was my perception anyway. And so after I worked full time for a year, I was like, I think I want to die. So (laughs) how do I stop this feeling? Um, 
and I decided that I wanted to go back to uni and well, not go back to, but go to in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I enrolled for Flinders uh, for women's studies major, sociology minor. You know, I was doing electives in media studies as well because media at Flinders is just awesome. So if you ever want to do a media degree, Flinders is the way to go. But okay. um, that kind of thing. And so I was at uni kind of just doing it really like casually. I was also in like a bit of an abusive relationship. So my perspective on how my life was going to end up is very, very different to how I am now because I had this kind of trajectory that I thought I was going to be on based on the context, based on the people who were in my life. And mm. what I was being told was within my reach. Yeah. And so once I and en- like once that relationship ended, once I was able to kind of have like more agency within my own life, I was like, oh, I don't want to live in Adelaide. And I it took me a while to get to the point where I moved. Um, but I was actually listening to because I really had no idea what I wanted to do after my undergrad. I was just going to finish my degree and then maybe keep working. I didn't really know. And I was listening to one of my all time favorite podcasts in the entire world which is like probably the first podcast that I ever started listening to in 2018-ish because I'm a bit like new to podcasts, I guess you could say, in the grand scheme of things. Mm. And um, I, they had a sexologist from Melbourne who lived in New York City on an episode. Oh, wow. And I just remember listening to that episode and the whole time I was like, this is the woman I want to be when I grow up. Like this is, yeah. this is what I, cause I've always been so fascinated by sex and I've always been so fascinated by sex education and, and talking to my friends about sex. And so like, yeah, let's talk about sex. And, mm. um, you know, when I was in that abusive relationship, I really had to suppress that side of me and I really had to put that away. Yeah. And so when that relationship ended, I went back into that part of myself and I realized that that was a part of myself that I need to nurture because it's valuable. Yeah. And so I decided, I, I realized that sexology was a thing. Like I hadn't really, I'd heard of it, but I really didn't realize that it was a thing you could do here. Yeah. And so I was re- researching how that was going to become a thing. And I even messaged this person that had been interviewed on this podcast on Instagram and she reached back out to me and I was like, how'd you do it? Like what kind of thing? And she didn't really tell me how to, but she was just giving me advice on it. And I was like, okay, this is good. This is fine. So yeah, cool. I realized that the postgraduate study is in Perth. So if I'm going to move to Perth anyway, I might as well move to Melbourne first um, because I already had friends here. I already had, you know, I knew I could transfer my job. I knew I Mm. would have like, I guess, support here, especially more than I do in Adelaide. So I decided to move and by moving, uh, we ended up in a pandemic. So I doubt that I'm going to move to Perth anyway to get my sexology degree. But from there, the podcast kind of started and the po- like I said earlier, the podcast was really about, a. Pl- it was initially like, oh, let's just put our opinions and our thoughts out there and, and kind of educate the people that we already know. Because I had yeah. always been had people telling me, oh, you should do a podcast. You, you're so intelligent. Because like, I think it, that kind of that shift when I started my degree um, and being given so much more um, options to articulate myself than I mm. had already been given. Yeah, I think people started to be like, that's when people started to be like, you're actually really smart, Indy. Like, you're actually really fucking smart. And then I started to believe it. And I was like, oh, I am. I'm just not smart in the way that people had put expectations on me. Um, yes. And so, okay. you know what I like? Does that make Yeah, yeah, sense? absolutely. <laughs> it, ta- it, it can take a bit to, um, it, it could take a bit to come around to that. Mm. that especially the way that the, the you know, that the school system works. And uh, I'm not going to be the one who's going to suggest that I know how to fix the school system, but... <laughs> this in um you know the intense and it's been spoken about before 
the intense way that we focus on on uh, standardized grading and mm. when we say academics when we say school we always traditionally think of maths science English mm. maybe even sport and if you yeah. don't fit into those you kind of don't get if you don't fit into those in, the, in that academic sense you don't get to think of yourself as smart which can 100%. be really like you know regardless of what everyone else thinks that can be really it can really hold people back in the way that they think of themselves yeah 100% and you know the whole talk of uh getting rid of NAPLAN since we've left yeah. school has really like left me a bit like feeling a bit salty because I remember and I have like trauma around not doing well especially in numeracy and my grandma just making it really known that she really didn't like that and that that was a problem Mm. and that I needed to work on it. And there was a lot of prep work that would always be done before. And I was like, man, I just want to daydream and like write stories because I'm actually really good at English. Cause, and that was like, you know, my mom, she recently moved as well from like to regional South Australia. And so she was going through all this stuff and she can't throw any of it away, but it's like all my, my, um, my report cards from when I was in primary school. And it's always Mm. like, satisfactory or low for numeracy but everything in literacy and everything in english is always really really high because i've always Mm. been really good at articulating myself and writing stories and it was always a problem because my grandma was always like i was top in the class for maths every single year and blah 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 and my dad was a computer scientist and obviously really good at maths as well so there was always that like standard and expectation and i think that the easiest way to uh, fix the education system is to just start again, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> well, I'm certainly not going to be um, not going to be one of the people who has to sit in the room and um, and think about what it looks like from the ground up, because <laughs> um, yeah. I, in speaking of smarts, I definitely don't have the smarts to make those kind of calls. Oh, but um, so obviously though. now, obviously now, as a super articulate um, and as fascinating a person of you as you are, is that the way that you see yourself going forward from now, like from gender studies into straight up and down sexology? And it is when you say sexology, is that more or less the same as sex therapy? Yeah. So I, I realized that in your question, I never answered what sexology is. Um, I just spoke about it, but uh, that's all right. We, we, we love a tangent here on Dan Welsh's. It's called Midnight, Midnight Ramble, Ramble for a reason. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, um, I was preemptively titling. <laughs> which I think is the best way to go. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I wish I had the kind of podcast where I could just sit and chat, but you know, I named it Hot Girls Theory, so there's got to be some theory in it. Um, well, there's so, a snappiness to your podcast that people would probably appreciate uh, a hell of a lot more. But you know, this is what I want to do, and this is how it's going to work. So, which is fine, and that's the thing. Like, this is the second podcast interview I've like someone else's podcast I've ever been on, and it's such mm. a much more relaxed vibe, and I like that because I'm like, oh, I don't have to do any prep work; I can just sit no. there and talk um so a sexologist or like the field of studying sexology is basically the looking at sex from the biological physiological and sociological understanding so it's okay. kind of this like overlap of sex from a biological standpoint but also yeah things like socially how does sex fit into our world and how is it important and what's necessary to kind of create understanding around sexual wellness mm-hmm. and Obviously, it's had a very uh, vast uh, expansion since it was a eugenicist movement or a branch yes. of. Um, okay. But when it comes to sexology versus sex therapy, 
when you study sexology, you are not qualified to be a sex therapist because you need to do like a counseling or therapy kind of adjacent degree as well. Okay. So being a sexologist and again, to do sex education, like you can't kind of still need more qualification because I think that it's not very well recognized, especially within Australia, because again, there's things politically that are yeah. keeping it from being, I guess, an accessible field of study. And so... Well, and it is very new as well. Like, I, I think I wouldn't be alone in being someone who's only heard the term sexologist within the last four to five years. But it's also um, something that ex- has existed since the 19th century, so you kind of can't say that. <laughs> but so why is it never... Why have, why have, has no one heard of it? Or because why, of the exact reasons we don't have proper sex education. Because people yeah. in the upper echelon who are white and men want to maintain their rights being on that pedestal. It's all about the, the whole like idea of white privilege and male privilege and things like that. So men who have the power, who are primarily in politics or primarily in education, they don't want to see their precious education tainted by sex or things like that it's and they feel threatened by it so yeah it gets swept under the rug and it's and and ignored and not recognized properly within uh, and within the australian culture in particularly there's been this big push away from obviously the arts you know you can see that with the Mm. increase in how much the degree costs since i started my degree which is not fun yes yes and um you can see that in the increase or the decrease in funding and the decrease in in what's available to study. And it's scary because politicians don't want, and again, I don't want to like ruin anything for your politics degree, but like, oh, (laughs) politics uh, career, sorry. But politicians don't want to see people go and get educated and with critical thought. So there's been this push away from going to university as a way to go and get educated in critical theory or to critically think about the world getting an education through uni is about how do i get this engineering degree it's about how do i get this degree that's going to get me this job that's going to pay really well mm. because education and educating people isn't about creating free thinkers it's about creating people who are going to make money for the people in power and so, contribute to it and like yeah contribute, contribute to, to the a, an economy that goes system. to I, yeah. I would i would i it would be remiss of me not to suggest that um that's definitely not the opinion of all politicians i've no. I, you know i've personally met multiple australian politicians who i would um who i would very gladly vouch for in that um, they want people to understand mm. um, critical thinking and stuff no, but i i totally absolutely. get what you mean there's this there's this obsession um, in a lot of the wording that comes out when we talk about education, it's it's inherently linked to uh, to jobs, getting a job, building a life, buying a house, mm. building a like. University is seen as um, the basis of what will become the rest of your life, contributing yeah. to society. I don't and even think university is anymore. It's like the it's year twelve because in year yeah. twelve, that's something that was so ingrained in us as well. And I think that like. You've when got to get a good job so you can get a good car and a good house and a good family. And that's, it's not, it's not actually, even though I had teachers who taught me critical thought and mm. taught me to get excited about history and English in year 12, the message, um, even though they taught me to get excited about those things, the message was still always, you know, you'd need to do well on your ATARs. You need to do mm. well in year 12, not because it'll teach you to be a well-rounded person 
with lots of varied or interests and good people thinking. <laughs> it'll just it will set you up for life because otherwise you'll be poor and destitute. And it yeah. was never in those particular words, but that's that's the that's vibe the you essence get. of it. Yeah, and that's I think why understanding that like even women's studies and I, I understand that like in academia yes sexology and women's studies and, and gender studies are new women's studies has been around since about like the 1980s in that yeah. post radical like uh women's lib movement of the 1960s but um it's also always kind of been there and i think again it comes back to like yes there are politicians that would agree that like going and getting education is about critical thought and it is about you know being that well-rounded person but uh it's about how accessible is that because that's not accessible for everyone no i mean and that's yeah that's a separate thing which is hugely important in that um it's it's very easy to talk about going to get um yeah get an education and be a critical thinker and um you know be able to talk and think about big ideas when you don't have to worry about paying, you know, when you don't have to worry about um, paying rent at the end of the week or when you don't yeah. have to worry about whether someone at home is going to be abusive to you or when you don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep that night or how you're going to put food on the table. Mm. There's a huge... When we talk about going to university um, and and whether that's setting yourself up for your, you know, your fancy future career or for critical thinking, what doesn't get spoken about enough is all the people who really, really would love to have the opportunity and the privilege to go and think about exciting th- ideas and think about building a, um, a successful career or whatever it is and yeah. ha- just don't have that opportunity at all because they've got much more base issues to worry about. Yeah. And, you know, that's that, that's a, that's a, another story for another time, but it's, it's, um, it's also hugely important. Well, I think that it's important because, like, that's how I felt I was. Like, I didn't think that going to uni was ever going to be, like, what I could do. And that was in part because, like, I wasn't always, you know, getting straight A's and I wasn't at Mm. the top of my class. And, like, you know, but that's the reality is, like, you know, especially in high school, like, I had so much shit going on. And Mm. so I had no, I guess, like, perception of, like, what was attainable for me because, like, the expectation, you know, I came, my mum was like, oh, she bloody passed year 11. That's better than I ever did. Like, she's doing great. Like, I never mm. had the kinds of expectation, like, especially as I got older, like, I stopped listening to my grandma because it was just, you know, it was too much. But mm-hmm. the expectation was never like, oh, she's going to go to uni and she's going to do really well. And she's going to, like, I had to put that expectation on myself. And I think that the, like, for me, like, I don't feel like I fit into academia because of my opinions, because of my body, because of how I look, because of, you know, my queerness, because of my, like what various things about me. I had to put myself in that position and I had to take that risk and I had to really like put myself out there in that way and find people who were similar that like similar to me within my field. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, it's also, um, it's, yeah, it's all really fascinating stuff. And I, I, I'm excited to see what you can do with it. I'm seeing more and more people talking about, like I say, sexology and sex therapy uh, without having that kind of connotation. You mentioned it in the chat you had with um, with Rachel Rose that I've alluded to that the um, the connotation of sex therapists as like bizarre, <laughs> bohemian, weird, yeah. creepy hippies, um, which is, you know, as we're starting to realise is, is not the case at all. But that was the, you know, that was the the connotations that surrounded that that career um you know even 
10 years ago, 15 years ago. I mean, the most recent example you were using was um, Sex Education on Netflix, which is one of my favorite shows. But even then, the the mum is a a straight up and down bohemian, (laughs) you know, um, uh, off with the fairies, trendy, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, there's, I think it's, it's a hugely varied field in terms of mm. the people who are interested in it and who want to practice it. And I'm excited to see it, what it can do. Yeah. It's a really good example though, because there's the mom who's a sex therapist and then obviously Otis's dad is also a sex therapist. And yes. so you think about it and you think, oh, okay. To be that obsessed with genitals that you have like your whole entire house in some way covered in art, you have yeah. to be that kind of weird, right? And so mm. there's the mom who's like, I think the focus is on her because she's in the show more. And then the dad who's like, oh, he's only a sex therapist because he obviously like wants to fuck his patients. Like, I think that's also the other end of the stereotype about what yes, it is to be a yeah, sex therapist. Sure. Yeah. So this has been so, so fascinating and I'm really, really glad we've had a chance to have a chat. We could probably go on for another two hours at <laughs> yeah. least, but um, I, all that means is a sign that we'll have to have you in again sometime because it's been super, super fun. And hopefully by then I'll be able to interview you face to face, which will be mm. even more enjoyable. But um, as we move towards wrapping up, where can people find you and what you're about? Primarily, of course, my first thing to do would be to encourage everyone to go listen to yours and Ash's podcast, which can Mm -hmm. be found. It can be found on literally all streaming services that you listen to your podcasts. If you listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, it's on Podbean, it's on Deezer, it's on Stitcher, it's on all of the places that you can find. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a link to my bio on all of my social media platforms. So... That is Fueled by Indie, um, which is a little nod to Fueled by Ramen, if you know that record label. Um, so that's uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find me. And then the podcast, Instagram and Twitter as well is Hot Girls Theory. Um, I will plug Ash as well. Her Instagram is Ashley XO Rose. I know that off by heart. So I just thought I'd chuck that in. If you're interested in kind of stalking us a little bit and then the pod, go for it. Um, so yeah, there's links to everything in my bio on social media. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Now, and all those links will be up is um, surrounding the Damn Welsh Midnight Ramble Instagrams and all of that as well. And um, yeah, just as we start to move towards this wrapping up, you mentioned Fueled by Ramen. (laughs) Whose record label is that? Is that? Uh, So that's a record label that mostly has like alternative pop punk. Like they've been around since like the early 2000s. Paramore, 21 Pilots, Panic at the Disco, Cobra Starship, like All Time Low. Um, yes okay yep pretty much anyone from that uh emo phase if you ever had an emo phase is who would be on fueled by ramen or mostly um and i have had the branding of fueled by indie since i was probably about 15 so why change it now yes. it works yep, for me yep, 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 <laughs> yeah yeah stuck with it and, yeah, because um, yeah. <laughs> since tumblr just, um... since literally my tumblr was fueled by um... only because i was um i was wondering for a second if it would be i was um uh, as we were getting ready to record this podcast, I was on my way home from work today and I had my hip hop playlist on shuffle and a Brockhampton song came out. Oh. And I did wonder for a second if it might have been um, Brockhampton's label. No, sure this is predating the Brockhampton love. <laughs> yes, yes. I was I was half tempted to introduce you as a little bit of a laugh as um, uh, a podcaster and Brockhampton stan, Indie Gage. 
I mean, it would be valid. <laughs> well, um, so that's been super, super fun to have a chat with you. I'm so glad we've had a chance to do this. Guys, make sure you go over and listen to Hot Girls Theory. It's super interesting and fun and it's just a fantastic podcast and much more well-developed and fascinating than mine. But I also appreciate so much that you've uh, tuned into this one and you've been able to catch this fantastic chat with Indy Gage in the process. Indy, thanks so much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And that brings us to a close on this third episode for today of Dan Welsh's Midnight Ramble podcast. I appreciate so much all the positive feedback I've had recently. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode with Indy Gage, a fascinating woman and a fantastic guest. If you want to support the show, you can always do that by following all of the socials. You can do via the link in the Instagram bio and all of the above. Make sure you drop a positive iTunes review if you really want to support the show. That's the best way to bump us up in the charts and get us known to more people. And uh, share it with a friend is the most obvious and easiest one. If you really liked a particular episode, flick it across to someone you think might enjoy it. Um, let them know spread the love I appreciate all the love that I've had so far and uh, I'm excited to see where this goes I've got a few awesome episodes coming up in the pipeline so make sure you keep tuned in the meantime thanks so much for joining me <laughs>